so I'm grateful that you and I are beginning a journey together. Some of us have began a journey a long time ago together, haven't we? Been, been together for a good while, and this is a season that we're just saying, okay, Lord, would you renew us? Would you uh, create in us a renewed spirit? And certainly it is the work of God to do that. I want to tell you a story today about a man named Daniel, but I want to give you some background first, because 600 years before Christ came, uh, the people of God were living in the promised land, which is Israel. They were living there, but God told them before they came into that land, and he was giving it to them, God said, you will be my people and I will be your God, and he fashioned for them what that would be like. He told them about the perimeters of blessed life, and he, he told them to stay within the perimeters of that. It's called his law. And he said to them, if you will follow after me and serve only me and heed my word, you can stay in this land, a land that is like flowing with milk and honey, which means it's just a land that is vastly rich. But he warned them that if you choose not to do that and you forsake my ways and you forsake me by serving other gods from the pagan nations around them, then he would remove them from the land. 600 years before Christ, that was taking place. The 10 tribes to the north of Israel had already been removed and the land was pretty desolate at that time. And now here we are in the text of, of uh, Daniel in which the bottom section, the southern portion of Judah, is also being removed. The first by Assyria, then the Assyrians were taken over by the Babylonians, and that Chaldean culture was sweeping through and taking the southern portion, those last two tribes. Now, God had all along been warning the people of Israel about this. In fact, when you read a lot of the prophets, including the minor prophets, you find over and over and over they are giving warning by God that this is going to happen. I'm going to remove you because of my judgment. He told them how to live bountifully in the land, and they pushed beyond that and disobeyed God. So he was going to be one of his word, and he was going to pull them out of that. But just after decade after decade after decade, God is warning the people, calling them to repentance. Maybe God's doing that to some of us in this room calling us back to himself, calling us back to his word, calling us back to his ways. We ought to pay attention to that. That's an important call that God has given. But the people denied it. So uh, the prophets were telling about what God was going to do. There were two primary things that the prophets were telling the people of Israel that they were disobedient about that God was very al alert to. One, they failed to follow God's word. God gave rhythms in the seasons and in time. In fact, part of the rhythm is you shall work six days and on the seventh day you shall rest. That's the word of God that's been declared and it's a rhythm that he established. It's a good rhythm for us to follow as well. But he also told the people, you work the ground for six years and on the seventh year you let it rest. But the people didn't do that. For 490 years, they bypassed the year of Sabbath, and they didn't let the land rest. Now, to let the land rest requires a lot of faith, doesn't it? That, God, we're going to work the land six years, and on the seventh year, it will be by your hand and your hand alone that we're fed. That takes a lot of faith, and the people didn't want to do that, so they forewent 
that period of rest for the, for the Sabbath year. And they did it for 490 years. Now, if you're a mathematician, you've already got that figured out. That 70 years of Sabbath that they went away with. They just said, we're not doing it. So you know what God did? God took them out of the land, and he did so for 70 years. And he brought rest to the land for those 70 times that they failed to let it rest for the year. He took them into a place, Babylon, which is the epicenter for false religion. And he did so because he had been warning them all along. This is the biblical term. Don't whore after the gods around you. Don't have a, a craving for those gods and serve them. But yet they did. They brought all those gods into their household and into that land. You know what God did? He took them to the epicenter where false religion began, into the place of Babylon. And he left them there for 70 years. And I can tell you, based on the word of God, when they came out of that place for 70 years, they had had enough of idolatry. Be careful, my friends. Because it just may be that God will turn you over in your sinful ways. He lovingly calls us out of those places. Maybe that's what he's doing today. Well, when God swept through by the hands of the enemy, either by Assyrian hands or Babylonian hands, many of the people were exiled. They were taken out of the land of Israel and taken into Assyria or into modern-day Iraq, Babylon. And they were left there. Among them was a group of young men that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had determined he wanted them to serve him in his palace. And so he told his chief eunuch, we'll call him the chief of staff, he told him, I want you to go and I want you to scour the royal family and the nobility of Israel, and I want you to find for me the choicest of young men. We're talking about teenagers. I want them to be good-looking, handsome, well-fed, well-established physically. I want them to be bright. I want them to have wisdom and learning. I want them to be very capable. I want the best of the best, and I want you to bring them into my palace. Daniel was one of those guys. He was one of those that was brought into that place. Now, Daniel is important for us to get to know because not only did he have these losses in his life, like being taken out of his house, taken out of his land, and put into a foreign place, not only did he have those hardships and, and uh, circumstances that were very difficult, but he handled them well. And he was put in places of honor when he was there. He, he was actually elevated in that position so that he had power and prestige. And can I just say, he handled that well too. In fact, throughout all of Scripture, you'll never find a single negative word written about Daniel. That's the kind of guy that we ought to be reading about. That's the kind of guy that we ought to be modeling our life towards because he has submitted himself to God faith in God in the ways and the law and the word of God that's the kind of life that we ought to say okay that's the way I want to live and beyond that Daniel has said three times by God to be greatly loved by God now God is a God of love he loves you but I don't know that he's ever written anything about any of us as being greatly loved maybe he has but it's in the scriptural about Daniel so he is certainly one that we ought to read about. But now, I want you to understand as well, Daniel is not a super saint. Daniel is not one of those guys that's different from us. 
He's not one of those that God says, oh, I really like the way he carries himself, and I like the way he thinks, and he's, he's really righteous and holy. I think I'll use him. No, no, God makes people that way. God gives them that. It's part of his grace. Now, certainly, we've got to be submissive to it, but Daniel is not one of those super saints who has an ability beyond our own. What is available to Daniel that he is exercising in is available to us in which we too can exercise. He demonstrates an extraordinary life, but he is an ordinary guy. Man, is that throughout Scripture. God just takes ordinary people like you and me, and he imposes himself into us so that we become extraordinary. What I mean by that is he gives us his character. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his word. He gives us his way. And if we will press into that along with his presence, we too can be extraordinary in this way of life. So if you're here today and wondering, I don't know that I'll ever live my life like Daniel. Oh, trust me, God says yes. Yes, you can. You bow to me, you submit to me, you give to my word, my will, my way, and yes, you can. And he does that repeatedly throughout the scripture. I know people, I can point them out right in this room that God continues to do that. He wants this for you and me. Inspired by the Spirit of God, the Apostle Paul once wrote out a prayer for the church, the followers of Jesus Christ, and he specifically says to us, that we would be strengthened with power through His Spirit, the Spirit of God, in our inner being. Now, he's writing this directly to the church, so I'm going to shift as uh, Paul has written the pronouns here. That so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of, God, of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, you're watching on screen, and I get that, but look in your handout and put a big circle around that, because when you begin to wonder this afternoon or tomorrow or some other time, is this 40 days thing really for me? Does God really want to stir in me? Does, could I really have what Daniel had? Can, can I, you circle this and come back to this because this is God's longing for you, that he would transform you by your inner being, that you would dwell with faith and you would be rooted and grounded in the love of God and have an understanding of that, to comprehend with all the other saints the height, the breadth, the length, the depth of God's love for you, and that you would have surpassing knowledge, that you would be filled with the fullness of God. That's what God wants for you. That's what he, his heart is for you. Now, the question is, is that what you want? Because if it's what you want, then you can press into that and experience life like you've never dreamt about. God wants to do that. Now, I want you to know, we're going to talk about doing some certain things and applying some principles and practices and disciplines, but you're not going to jump through some hoops and get to that. That's just God's goodness. If God is going to stir revival in you specifically or me directly, if he's going to do it for us collectively, it won't be because we do this or we do that or we wear the green bands or we pray three times or we read three times or we only eat certain foods. It'll be by God's lavish grace that he just says, I'm about to do something new in you. I'm about to do something grand in you. And man, have I been praying for that. I'm praying for that. 
If you have texted in to 256-414-9113 and let us know that you're doing 40 days, or if you've logged in to the Facebook page that's for 40 days, or if you have in some way emailed us and we have your name, then you have been prayed for more than once by name already, and it will continue. There's 10 of you that are on my bathroom counter right now. <laughs> and in the morning and in the evening, I'm reminded about you and I have been calling your names out regularly and lots of other people are doing that it'll be by the grace of God that it will occur well through faith in Jesus Christ God has treasured his fullness to dwell within us that means that God has given the fullness of his love to us he's not holding back any portion of it He's given us the full ability to comprehend and live in the depths of that love. And God has given us the fullness of his presence. That means that we have a source far greater than us by which we can live in. That's really what 40 days of renewal is all about. Living in the fullness of God. Just being purposeful and dedicated to live in the fullness of God, to press into Him. So let's spend the next 40 days training ourselves in those kind of truths. Let's spend the next 40 days training ourselves to know the will of God and do it, to know the ways of God and do it, and love doing it. Let's spend these days consciously, coram Deo, living before the face of God, as we read this week in our church-wide reading plan of the Bible. Let's not settle for anything less than the fullness of God. Let's don't come to him and say, just top me off where I'm in need, Lord, or I I'm sort of at risk over here, could you just help me? No, 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 let's go for the fullness of God. Let's let the fullness of God be in us and us be given to his fullness and the fullness of his love and walk in that treasure. Let's push in this way. Now, the first few verses of the book of Daniel set us up to the background of the story of his life, Nebuchadnezzar, as you Know is the king of Babylon, the empire there, and he has come against Judah, and he has strategically moved his, his uh, military to besiege the city, which basically means he's got enough troops out there to surround the city so that no one or nothing is going into the city. All supplies have been cut off. Nobody's coming out, and nothing is going in, and he just has to wait. And the hunger turns into starvation and the will of the people cave and the city falls to the hand of the mighty Nebuchadnezzar. And so much so that he goes into the temple of God and he takes some of those holy vessels and he takes them out of the city and he puts them in the temple of his God, Baal. And he is declaring, not only have I captured your city not only have i taken your people but i have proven to be greater than your god for the holy vessels of your god are now in the temple of my god now what he didn't know in his ignorance is that god had already said all of this would come about that god was using him as his hand of discipline and god would have his vengeance as he always does he is just and perfect in that but there among the people exiled are three, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're actually among what scholars believe to be hundreds of other young teens who are the best and the brightest, who have now been brought into Nebuchadnezzar's palace. 
And they are to be trained for three years in the way of the Chaldeans. Now think about that for a minute because that's a strategy that the enemy continues to use. He'll take the best, the brightest, the most adept and equipped, the most hopeful and the most promising, many of whom in this community go to this church, and he will go after them. And he does it in a way like he did to these in Daniel's life. He will begin to indoctrinate them. Nebuchadnezzar wanted these young Hebrew teenage boys to be immersed into the Babylonian way. He wanted them to be immersed into that Chaldean culture, so much so that that culture became part of them. He wanted them to know their philosophies. He wanted them to know their religions. He wanted them to know their literature. He wanted them to know astronomy and astrology, and he taught it to them. He wanted them to know their food and like their food and drink their wine and like their wine. Now, that's the same ploy that the enemy uses today. It's an indoctrination way of the enemy that he will take those students in this place and try to draw them to himself so that he might indoctrinate them to his sinful and evil ways to shape their minds so that they would be immersed into the culture of this world which is ruled by the prince of the power of the air, immersed into that culture so that that culture gets immersed deep within them and they begin to think like him and respond as he would respond. That's what Nebuchadnezzar wants. He wants these young men for three years to be coached in that way, immersed in that way, so that some of them could stand in the palace and give him counsel. You know how that's done today? You hand your kid a digital device, and you say, hey, play all the games you want. But the enemy wants to use that same device as an indoctrination tool to his ways. It's when you and I sit down at the Den or in the living room, and we turn on the television, and the enemy is discipling and indoctrinating our families. It's the blogs we read, it's the people we follow, it's the music we listen to. The enemy will use those things to indoctrinate us, hoping to immerse us into culture and culture to be immersed into us so that he can use us for his own evil ways. Now, I'm not against technology, and I'm certainly not against the digital age. I just say it shouldn't be unfettered, that it shouldn't be unfiltered, that you ought to be smart about that. And it's not just about the teenagers, is it? It's not even about just the kids. It's about you and me. You and I should have protection mode. You get on our server here and you're on the internet, you're blocked from certain things. Why? Because that's the way the enemy indoctrinates people. And we're certainly not going to give him that here. And so it should be at your family house so it should be at your business that you just put protections in place so that the indoctrination of the world doesn't encroach into the minds of your kids and your teens and yourself. But that's exactly what the enemy was doing in Daniel's life. And they find themselves in crisis. I would say they find themselves with crises. Number one, what do we believe? Now, three years of indoctrination will cause you to doubt and question what you believe. If the philosophies and the religion of Babylon had been taught to you and astronomy, which they were really good at, 
turned into superstitious astrology and all that kind of mixed and mingled together, these guys, these hundreds of teenage Hebrew boys must have come to some question like, what is it that we believe? Because all that they were being taught, which was said to be true and right, was very different from what they had been taught back home and very different from what their God, who created it all, said. They had to be asking, what do we believe? And they probably were asking, how is it that we can remain morally true and right? How is it that we can stay grounded in the holiness of God and the holy ways of God? The king instructed all the teens to be fed from his kitchen, his food, and drink his wine. Daniel said, nah, I'm not interested in that. And so did his three friends. You might say, well, what's the big deal about that? I can tell you what. Every wine glass that was raised was raised first to the false religions, to the false gods of Babylon. Every piece of meat that was eaten was was eaten first after it, uh, second after it had first been sacrificed to their false gods. So here, how do we remain morally pure and morally right? These teenagers must have had that question. The problem is, is the king's food and the king's education, the king's culture is all wrong for these Hebrew boys. But maybe they were asking the question, who are we? Because their identity is founded in, in who they are as people of Israel. They're, they're, they're founding in this who they are by the training and the indoctrination of God's word. But now they've been immersed into the culture of Babylon. They have to be asking, who are we? Everything's different. Even their names are different. When you look at Daniel, his name means God is my judge. For all his life, he was known to be Daniel. God is my judge. Now he's in Babylon. They changed his name to Belshazzar. Bel, protect the king. Bel is the Babylonian god most known. So now he's no longer called Daniel. He's called Belshazzar. And his friends, Hananiah, the Lord is gracious, is changed to be Shadrach, command of Aku, another Babylonian god. Mishael, who is like the Lord, becomes Meshach, who is what a coup is? Or Azariah, the Lord is my helper, is changed to Abednego, meaning a servant of Nego, the, the god of vegetation. So not only have they been indoctrinated, not only have they been questioned now about their religion, but now their whole life has changed. Their name used to remind them of who they are in God. Now it reminds them of who a false god is. So young men were facing a crisis. Maybe you're facing similar crises. Perhaps the world has indoctrinated you, and you and I have to be resolving to not let that happen. Maybe you're asking, what do I believe? Perhaps you no longer believe that the Bible is the sole authority of God's truth for your living. Maybe you don't come to the Bible first. Maybe you go to other sources first. Maybe your belief is not constituted right here. Maybe you don't Read this word so that it becomes part of who you are, a reservoir of truth for you. In March 2017, Barna Research released a project that they have been working on. And in this project, they discovered that 61% of practicing Christians believe in at least one component of what is called new spirituality. I'll give you some Instances of what new spirituality is, 28%, nearly 3 out of 10, said that all people pray to the same God or spirit, no matter the name that they pray in. 3 out of 10 practicing Christians believe that. 
27% say this is true. Meaning and purpose come from becoming one with all that is. You hear the new age-ness of that? You hear the Eastern religions in that? What about karma? 32% said if you do good, good is what you'll get. And if you do bad, bad is what you're going to get. Listen, none of those are biblical. But 61% of practicing Christians believe those kind of things. Maybe we need to come to a conclusion in this crisis of what do we believe and say God's word is what we must believe. And we must measure everything to it. Maybe we need to turn off the TV and turn down the volume on other things and let this be picked up more. Let this be the indoctrination of truth. Maybe our lives would be, maybe your marriage would be better. Maybe you could raise your kids better. Maybe your business practice would be better because you let this truth come into you rather than that stuff. 40 days of renewal is going to help. If you want it to, because three times a day, we're going to be reading. We're going to read God's word three times a day. You say, well, what if I forget? Well, if you let us, we'll send you a text to remind you. And you just click the link, and it'll take you to that chapter in the Bible, and you can read it right then, meditate on it. I've come to discover the more I read the Bible, the more I think and dwell on the things of God. And so I want you to do that, too. Let's do it together reading God's word. Or maybe your crisis is you're struggling in moral purity. That's what Daniel and his friends and the others were, were hoping, uh, that Babylon was hoping that they would struggle with. If you're a follower of Christ, then his call for you is to live holy as he is holy. That's a big call. And you're not going to be able to do this in a self-empowered way. Okay, by golly, I'm going to live holy. no. I can tell you from personal experience that doesn't work. But if you submit yourself to the one who is holy, and you submit yourself to him who is holy in you, and you submit yourself to his holy instruction, you'll be on the right pathway, and God will do a great work of holiness in you. And it is a blessed life. I can tell you, not just today, but in the life to come, your life will be blessed by you choosing to be righteous and holy before God. Maybe without considering the impact, you have been indoctrinated to the way of the world. And maybe during 40 days, you're going to rethink that. You're going to think differently about what you watch on television, what blogs you read, how much time you spend on social media. You're just going to rethink that. And I'm not telling you you have to do that, but maybe you need to rethink some of that about what is coming in. Maybe during 40 days, you're going to be disciplined to let the truth prevail. And you're going to choose this over every other thing. Morality, immorality may be the norm for non-Christians, but it cannot be the norm for Christians. God calls us to be holy. And during the 40 days, we're going to embrace the things that are holy and we're going to exercise in holiness for the hope that at day 41, it continues. Or perhaps you're wrestling with your identity. I would think that these guys would have a difficult time in their identity since their names are completely different. Maybe you're wrestling in your identity. 
If your faith is in God that he sent his son Christ Jesus to die for your sins and to cleanse you of your unrighteousness and to credit you with his righteousness, if your faith is there, then my friends, your identity is set. You are no longer a sinner. You are a saint of God. You're a son or daughter of the Most High God. Your identity is grounded in your uh, ministry and, and work in the kingdom of God and what you do. In the kingdom of God, let that identity settle. Forty days will help you. And Daniel just resolved to be holy. He resolved, even though these crises were in his life, he just resolved, I'm just going to stay holy. I'm just going to do the things that I know God wants me to do. And, and that can be done in the power of the Spirit of God. Look in chapter 1 of Daniel, verse 8 and 9. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So Daniel's resolved. I'm going to stand in the way of God. And yes, there are lines out there that I am unwilling to cross. And eating the king's food and drinking his wine is a line that I'm not willing to cross. Now, I want you to know Nebuchadnezzar could care less about the Levitical law. Nebuchadnezzar could care less about the dietary ways of the Hebrew boys. Nebuchadnezzar would rather Daniel's head roll off of his body than for him to be defied. But yet Daniel holds his ground. And Daniel says to the one who's responsible for him, I'm not going to do that. And I, although it's inferred, I think Daniel and his friends would be willing to give them their lives in order not to cross that. They would rather stand before God knowing that they were right and true in him in all eternity than to stand before Nebuchadnezzar and keep their life. They were resolved. Those in authority over his life could change a lot about him, and they did. They changed his location. They changed his residence. They changed his service. They changed his name. But you know what they couldn't do? They couldn't change his heart. And there's a lot of circumstances in your life that you wish were different. There's a lot of things that have gone on in situations in your life that have been brought upon you, and you would do it over again if you could, but you can't. They've been pushed upon you. And you might say, I had no choice. I get that, but you've got a choice with your heart. And you and I can stand and resolve in our heart, that is, in our mind, in our purpose, in our intent, in our way, to be holy and right before God. You might say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal about the king's food and the wine is it is directly attributed to those false worship uh, practices that were going on in Babylon. They were dedicated to those false gods, and Daniel did not want to have anything to do with that. Not only was the food non-kosher, but it was all service to gods that Daniel said were false, and he was right to do so. So we can only imagine the pressure that these guys must have felt, not just from Nebuchadnezzar, not just from the chief of staff, but from their own friends. You think about the hundreds of other Hebrew boys that were brought into that program for three years, and Daniel and his three friends make a determination that they're not going to give to the king. Can you imagine the pressure that must have come upon them? Now look, Daniel, we're a long way from home, boy. And nobody's going to know if you eat the king's food or you drink the king's wine. What's the big deal? 
Hey, Daniel, what are you, some kind of holy roller? Is that what you're trying to prove? What are you, just legalistic? You're causing us to be affected. Can you imagine the pressure that's mounted? But even with all that pressure, Daniel and his three friends remained true. Man, do we need, need some spiritual fortitude like that. Do we need some people that will just say, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. It doesn't matter what they're calling me to do. It doesn't matter what that person says or this person says. I'm for Christ. I want to honor Him. I want to be renewed in Him. I want to walk in the treasures for all eternity of standing in righteousness. So I'm asking you, like Daniel, be resolved to, as a follower of Christ to press into His holiness. Just be resolved to that, to press into the presence of Jesus by his Holy Spirit. Now, let me read the rest of the narrative, which I think will give you some great insights for your own life. Beginning in verse 10, the chief of the eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So what he's saying is, hey, when the king looks at everybody and he sees you guys being less than them, it's my head that's going to roll. Why should that be the case? Daniel said to the steward whom the, chi whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat. That word in the original language means food from seed. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servant according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, when it was seen that they were in better in appearance and fatter in flesh. Now, that doesn't go well for us <laughs> to say they were fatter in the flesh. In the Hebrew way, that means they were more healthy in the flesh. All right, it's unlike us where we have all the food that we ever want. You know, our problem is not malnutrition. It's what biologists say is overnutrition. It's that doesn't make sense. But it just means we eat far more than we should. So what he's saying here is that the others, they thought by eating from the king's kitchen and drinking his wine, they would have more than they needed, and it would be, and the effect would be health. And you would think guys that are eating just vegetables and drinking just water would have less health. But in fact, the steward finds that to be the opposite of the case. They were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away the food and the wine they were to drink and gave them their vegetables. Verse 17, and it's for these four youths. This is the key of it all. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, in other words, the king's going to evaluate at the end of the three-year period, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before, in Neb, uh, in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. In other words, of all those who had been taken into this social experiment, these four, Daniel and his three friends, are the ones the king said, I want them in my palace. They rise above all others. Verse 20, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. So that's who he used to gain uh, insight from. 
And he's saying, these guys are ten times better. And Daniel was there until King Cyrus, which means Daniel was there the rest of his life. I love the narrative. But I want you to hear this. There is nothing mystical about eating a veggie diet. If you're thinking, oh, Gunner wants us to be vegans, you're thinking wrong. Because on day 41, I'm having the biggest, fattest, juiciest cheeseburger with bacon on it that I can find. <laughs> Maybe. There's nothing mystical about their diet. There's nothing magical about eating vegetables and fruits and whole grains and legumes and nuts and seeds without sodium, which many of us are going to do for the 40-day period of the Daniel fast during the 40 days of renewal. Eating a diet does not get God's attention. Faith gets God's attention. We could have done a whole lot of other diets. I could have chosen any one of them that would be a healthy way for us to be healthy in body. There are a great number of ways to eat. But it's when you do it in faith that God says, now I'm about to show out. Now I'm about to take what you could have done in the flesh, and I'm about to elevate it, what I can do alone as the creator and sustainer of all things. So I encourage you to engage in the 40 days of eating the foods that Daniel ate, but do it in faith. Now let me give you a release. If you're not inclined to the Daniel fast, don't do the Daniel fast. If you're all tweaked out about it and wondering how you're going to do this and how you're going to do that and how you're going to make the foods taste good and how you're going to enjoy them and have delicious this and delicious that, you got the wrong thing going. It's not about the food. I know that sounds crazy, but when you're fasting, it's not about the food. It's about your heart of faith. Now, the fast, for me, and for us as a congregation who feel called to it, the fast is a tool in the toolbox that I'm going to pick up during the 40 days. And I'm going to use that tool to sharpen my heart, to heighten my faith. And then when the fast is over, I'm going to put that tool back in the box till the next time. Now, maybe you're called to that then let's do it. Let's do it together. Maybe you're not called to that. Enjoy your cheeseburger. We can still read, pray, and praise and still be engaged in the great things of God in renewal. Well, now notice what God does. At the end of the 10 days, he makes it obvious that the faith of Daniel and his friends have brought about an extraordinary accomplishment. Not just in their appearance, but in their intellect and wisdom. All right, let me try to button this up. I want to invite you to join me. Let's do this together. Okay, what do I need to do? I think the first thing today is to resolve to press towards holiness. The first thing, not read, not pray, not praise, not diet. The first thing we do is just to say, God, you call me to be holy, and I want to walk in holiness. Now that in and of itself is going to dismantle some things in your life. Press there. I'm going to tell you, your flesh is going to resist it along the way. Flesh hates resistance. 
restriction. Press there. Just press there. When you want to quit, you'll find a perfection of the Spirit that you didn't know was there. When you feel weak, you'll find a perfection of the Holy Spirit that you did not know could strengthen you. When your resolve sort of quakes, you'll find the presence of God calling and beckoning in a unique way. Be resolved today. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, no matter the culture, no matter what is available to me, I stand resolved in the holiness of Christ. That's number one. Number two, let's begin the discipline of reading, praying, and praising. We'll do it three times a day. Now, you're going to get a text from us if you have given us your information, your cell number, by texting the word RENEWAL to 256-414-9113. You're going to get a text from us at 7 a.m., noon, and 7 p.m. But you don't have to have us. We've given you the scriptures. They're available at the end of this section to my far left. They're available on the table there. Or go online, 40days.com, 40daysrenewal.com, excuse me. Go online and you can pull them down anytime. But let's just do that. Let's read God's word. Think about it. Meditate on it. Pray through it. Let's praise together. Let's worship together. We're giving you songs that we as a congregation are focusing on. Through the, You sang two out of the three this morning. The song we're about to sing was this week's, this past week's song. So we'll, we'll do that. We'll We'll sing them individually. You might sing them as a family, and we will sing them collectively. Let's read, let's pray, let's praise. And then I'll invite you, who sense a calling of the Spirit, to pick up the fast out of the toolbox and apply it to your life. So I don't know if I can go 40 days. Why don't you try 10? And see at the end of 10 days what you feel like. You'll have already gone through the hardest part, Listen, the first three days without caffeine and sugar, oh my goodness, once you get through that, man, you're good to go. But pick that up if you sense the Spirit calling you to. There are many other men, no doubt, young men, teenagers, who were like that of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But you don't hear them being read in Scripture. My guess, and it's only a guess, my guess is they didn't stand like those four did. And God has elevated us to know about these four faithful young men. I want God to be able to do that in our lives. To be able to say, look at the faith and the faithfulness that my son has vested in those people. Look how they have surrendered to him. It doesn't mean that I'm expecting us to be perfect. But I do expect us to be faithful. Let God be glorified in that. Now let's pray together. Right now in this moment, Lord, you're speaking perhaps to some and you're calling them to yourself and to a deep understanding of your fullness and your grace and your love. And Lord, we treasure that notion and we ask that you would find us faithful to press into that presence. In this moment, Lord, if a renewal or reviving spirit comes into this place, it won't be because we've jumped through hoops and it won't be because I've declared it to be. It will be because you have graciously determined that it will be. And Lord, I'm just asking 
I'm asking for renewal. I'm asking, Lord, that your people who are called by your name would humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways. That They would seek after you, your holiness, your righteousness, your word, your prayer, and your praise. And that you would hear us from heaven as we've prayed. And you would heal us and our land. Lord, we give you our heart. It's the one thing that we can give. We give you our heart. We surrender to you. To some, it will be unto salvation. To others, it will be in this work of the Holy Spirit in their salvation towards holiness. So, Lord, we give you our heart. In the name of Jesus, amen.